So are you content? That's the question for today. Uh, maybe it's not such a yes or no question, but let's put it on a spectrum. On a scale of 1 to 10, how content are you? 7. All right. Um, room for improvement. All right. <laughs> uh, last week I preached that at Springs, and somebody was 12 there. So, yes. Uh, but, I, but I asked that question of someone that I considered to be a rather content person a couple of weeks ago, uh, looking ahead to the sermon. And, and it's one of those people that, you know, I wouldn't say real, they don't have high highs, nor do they have low lows, just kind of go with the flow. Uh, always seemed to be a rather content person. So I was expecting a strong eight. Um, I would have expected a six, maybe. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I was expecting a strong eight from him, and he gave me a nine. Uh, and, and so maybe that's you as you sit here today. Maybe you're a nine, uh, maybe you're an eight, maybe you're a seven, maybe you're a ten. But it really doesn't matter what you are, whether you're ten or five or one or even a twelve, that doesn't necessarily mean you're satisfied. Those are words that are very similar, what we would call synonyms, right? But they're slightly different in their meaning. Uh, Webster, a uh, dictionary would define it this way, is that contentment is your attitude that you have toward what you have. Satisfaction is your attitude toward what you get. Let me try to illustrate that for you. Let's say tonight you have a huge craving for chocolate ice cream, and you go to the freezer and you only have vanilla. And you take out that vanilla ice cream and you put two scoops into your bowl and you watch your movie eating your vanilla ice cream, you're content. It's what you had. But if you had such a strong craving for chocolate ice cream that you hopped into your car, drove to Raley's, bought some chocolate ice cream, brought it home, put three scoops into your bowl, and now watched your movie, now you're satisfied, right? Because it's what you got. It's what you received, not just what you had in the house. Or, or the same thing could be said. I, I, I think of a, a gentleman that I used to golf with, uh, whenever he would have like a bad shot, but it would turn out okay, maybe it would skip across the water or it hit a rock and come back, he would always yell out, and, and he would say it in jest, but he would yell out his son-in-law's name. He'd say, Adam! And then he would tell us what he meant by that. In jest, he was joking, but he'd say, yeah, it's not necessarily one I wanted, but it turned out, it, it, it worked out okay. <laughs> All right? And again, he was saying that in jest. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, and there's, there's truth to that, right? If, if I tee off and I, I slice and it hits a tree and comes back to the middle of the fairway, I'm content with that. But if I drive it 300 yards down the center cut, now I'm satisfied. Or the same thing could be said of the way that we, we work with companies once in a while. Tomorrow I'm renting a car. We have a conference over in California, and it's cheaper to rent instead of getting mileage reimbursement. So I can guarantee that when I get back, in my inbox will be a customer satisfaction survey. It's, I've never filled out a customer contentment survey, right? Whether you rent a car or you go out to eat or, you know, you, you uh, stay at a hotel, I, I'm, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I was really content to stay at Holiday Inn versus to say I was satisfied to stay at Holiday Inn. That's a really, really, really long 
introduction to a sermon. I mean, think about what you've heard so far. You've heard about uh, ice cream. You've heard about golf. You've heard about son-in-laws. You've heard about rental cars. You've heard about hotels. Uh, you've heard about dining at a restaurant. And you're like, I didn't come here to hear about that. And maybe you're thinking right about now, okay, don't just make me content to sit here uh, for an hour today. Make me satisfied, right? Uh, and and it's, it's, I don't want to just hear about all those, those things. Don't just whet our appetite as we sit here today. Feed us, and don't just give us the appetizers. Give us the entree and the dessert and the chocolate ice cream if, if that's what you want. Don't, just, don't send our, us away today with our spiritual tanks half full, like that little cup could. But send us away with our spiritual tanks filled to the brim, like with that pitcher. Fill us up. That's the point of beatitude number four today. A beatitude, uh, just a reminder, uh, in Vicar introduced us to that thought the other uh, last week, Beatitudes are, are statements of supreme blessing. You are blessed, you are flourishing, you are happy if, or this, this is, you are this if this happens, or when this happens. And so you had all these, these Beatitudes uh, that, that Jesus talked, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? They're not blessed or flourishing because they're poor in spirit. They're blessed because they will, receive, uh, they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are those who mourn. Why? Not because we're mourning, but because they will be comforted. That's how we get blessed. Blessed are, or flourishing are those who are meek. Why? Not because they're meek, but because they will inherit, uh, they will inherit the earth. And then we get to number four today, blessed. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting. Why? Not because they're hungering and thirsting because they need something in their life, but because they will be filled. They will be filled. Uh, that's what we want to see today. How are we filled? How do we get blessed as we are filled? Uh, you know, Jesus uses rather intense language. Uh, when he speaks these Beatitudes in what, again, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. I'd encourage you to read that, those chapters sometime this week. Um, but, but I think sometimes our culture, sometimes our context, uh, or maybe even the way that we communicate our language, maybe has a way of robbing Jesus of the depth of his words. Uh, you know, when, when you and I hear these words, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger. I don't know what you think of, but it's probably not quite as intense as what Jesus talks about when he's hungry. More often than I care to admit, I will sneak into our kitchen maybe an hour or two after dinner, right? And I'll think Mary's maybe tuned into her podcast book that she's listening to or watching a movie or correcting her papers, and she won't hear me, right? And, and, and maybe if I'm really sneaky, I'll even open up this refrigerator door so no light gets cast her way in her peripheral vision, right? But... 99% of the time I'll hear, are you hungry? And she's right. I'm not hungry. I'm just habitual, right? And maybe once in a while we'll snap back, say, yes, dear, I'm hungry. I'm going to have my cake and I'm going to eat it too, right? But for the most part, 
I don't think we grasp what Jesus means here when he says, blessed are those who hunger. I mean, with our cramped cupboards and our full fridges and our convenience stores that are convenient, uh, do we really understand what's all behind this word hunger? Now, I don't want to give the impression uh, that, that Jesus and his disciples were starving. All right. I mean, there are numerous times that we go through the Bible and you see them feasting. They go to Mary and Martha's house and she's whipping a gourmet meal out for them. Or, or they go to a wedding at Cana and there is fine wine that is flowing. And there is, you know, Jesus feeds 5,000 people on a shoreline and there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers, uh, one whole basket for every disciple. So I don't want you, to, you and me to think that the disciples and Jesus are sitting on the street corner with a cardboard sign that says, hungry, please feed me. Um, but I also would say they have a much more familiarity with hunger than you and I do for the most part. I know one in eight people, I just heard it on the radio coming in today, one in eight people uh, in our country supposedly uh, deal with hunger. Even that, I don't want to downplay the, that, but even that doesn't match I think the depth of what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, he was experienced with hunger. He, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights in the wilderness. Or I think of, you know, how in tune they were with the Old Testament times, like Jacob and his, his sons, the, the, the 12 sons of Jacob, they all went down to Egypt uh, because there was no food where they were living. They, they had a, I mean, when's the last time you'd have thought, maybe we'll move countries because there's nothing to eat here? Uh, but that's what Jacob and his, his sons had to do. Or I think of Elijah. I thought of Elijah last week. We went up to uh, Mount Rose to Chickadee Ridge, and we, you know, we bought these little pine nuts to feed the birds. And I have a picture of Vicar with the bird in his hand, right? Um, but what did Elijah have to do? Elijah had to get fed by the birds. I mean, he, he understood what it's like to be hungry. Or I think when we get introduced to the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament, there she is. She is cooking up what she thinks is going to be her last meal. The oil is running out, and she just is there to say, you know what, this is it. And now my son and I are going to die. That's hunger. That's hunger. More than what you and I often use when we say, oh, two hours after dinner, I'm starving, right? If you had that type of a hunger, where it was just so deep and so long-lasting, so intense, you'd want it to be satisfied at all costs. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so how do you fill that emptiness? How do you fill that hunger? I, I suppose it depends what you and I are hungry for, right? If, if we're hungry for money, you know, um, will we ever be filled? I, I, I think of a, it's been told a, a reporter in the early 20th century interviewed Mr. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, richest man on the planet at the time, owner of Standard Oil. And this reporter comes up to him and says, Mr. Rockefeller, uh, how much money do you need to be satisfied? You know what he said? Just a little bit more, right? Just a little bit more. And, and this is a guy who, if you would take, 
Inflation, he'd be worth $349 billion today. Three times more than Jeff Bezos, Mr. Amazon. Just a little bit more. And it, it could be the same thing about anything, you know. Maybe you're not hungering for, for money, but you're hungering for fame, or you're, you're hungering for, for a relationship or companionship, or you're hungering for athletic ability, or you're, you're hungering to get into the school of your choice, you're hungering to, to marry the person of your dreams. Or, you know, none of those things are in and of themselves wrong, but none of those things ever come with the promise that they'll fill you up. None of those things ever come with the promise that if you have them, you'll be satisfied. Except for the beatitude that's before us today. Where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. And so I guess then the question becomes, is that what we're hungry for? Is that what we're thirsty for? Are we hungry in such a way that I have, to, I, I have to do what's right in God's eyes, and if I don't, I'll just have this pain in my stomach? Am I so thirsty uh, to do the will of God uh, so that if I don't, my tongue will stick to the roof of my mouth and, and I'll be spiritually parched? Very likely, we often don't do things um, because we want to. It's often because we do these things because we have to or we feel we have to. You know, do we, you know, even ask, why are you here today? You know, are you here today because mom made you come or somebody, you know, your guilt was getting the best of you? Or are you here because you were hungering to worship your Lord? Uh, why do we watch our tongues once in a while? Is because I, I just want to make sure that anything that comes out of my mouth is, is there for lifting someone else up, building others up? Or is it just because, oh, I, I don't want them to think less of me? Or, or why do we, you know, why do we sometimes turn the channel on the TV? Is it because I just don't want my mind to, to go in a place that would, that would give me thoughts that aren't... In pleasing to God, or is it because, oh, the kids walked into the room? Yeah. Or, or even think about, wh why do we do things as a congregation? You know, why do, I have a, why do we have a Bible study on Wednesday, or why do we have an Ash Wednesday service in a couple of weeks? Is it just because, well, that's what all, all the other churches are doing? Or are we hungering to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord? Or why do, we, why do we support our, our congregation with our, our prayers and with our offerings? Why, why did the three congregations just, you know, amazingly reach a $100,000 gift for our future location, wherever that may be, through the Bless the Bless program? Was it because we were just trying to reach a goal that someone else set up for us? Or was it out of gratitude? True confessions, right? We don't always do the right thing for the right reasons. But today, today we get to celebrate and go home with this truth that we always have the right reason to do the right thing. And the right reason is the one who speaks these words to us today. The right reason is that one named Jesus. Jesus.
who hungered and thirsted for righteousness so much, not just two hours after dinner, but every day of every week, of every month, of every year of his life. The right reason is that one who hung on the cross and said, I thirst, so that he could follow that up by saying, it is finished, to make sure you know that you are right with God. The right reason is, is the one who hung on the cross and watched his, his robe gambled for at his feet so that he could carry out his work and give us the robe of his righteousness. The right reason to hunger and thirst for righteousness is that one who hung on a cross and completely emptied himself so that he could carry out these words. And this promise, they will be filled. He did all that to fill us with his righteousness. That is the blessing that you and I get to celebrate today. Yes, do we sometimes fall short in having this hunger and having this thirst for righteousness? You bet we do. But I think that's the problem sometimes when we look at these beatitudes. We only look at the first half of each line. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who thirst. It's, it's the concentration on what we must do that we miss the second half. We miss the promise. They will be filled. Passive tense. This is what God promises to you. You are filled with Christ's perfection. You are filled with Christ's holiness. And I see that at work today. I see that promise being fulfilled before my very eyes. I mean, if, if it was only law that drove you here today, you wouldn't be listening. You'd just be content to sit there and check off a box. If it was only law that led you to support our congregation with your prayers and your offerings, I wouldn't hear the comments that I'd hear. Like, like the comment from the anonymous donor who offered that $100,000 matching grant. You know what he said? He said, ah, oh, this is fun. This is fun. Fulfilling the law isn't fun. Living in the light of the gospel, that's fun. And that's what we celebrate today. That we are here to praise God that, that he has, first of all, created a hunger and thirst for righteousness in you. That's why you're here. But also to praise and thank God that he has filled you with that righteousness. Filled you with that assurance that you are okay with God all because of Jesus. You know, it's a multi-generational saying in my wife's family. Um, I don't know how far back, how many generations it goes back. For sure her grandpa, uh, but when her grandpa would ever come for dinner, at the end of the meal, he'd say something like this. He'd say, I came here hungry, and I'm leaving fed up. <laughs> right? And now her dad will say, her dad's coming next week. I can guarantee he'll say it. I've heard her brother say it. It's a, it's a multiple generation thing. And 
I came here hungry, but I'm leaving fed up. That's not just a corny dad joke. That's a Heavenly Father promise. You and I came here today hungry and thirsting for righteousness. But having chewed on the word of God, the words of our Savior, we get to leave here fed up. I mean, we get to be filled in so many ways. Uh, you know, when you, when you see uh, some of the blessings uh, that were, were outlined, if uh, they're on your, the back side of your, uh, of your um, handout today for your, your notes, and it's also in your, in your giving statements for the year. I can be filled up as I hunger and thirst for righteousness to see how God is pouring out his blessings. You know, when I see seven baptisms as a congregation, or when we, when we hear about three people who were confirmed last year and four that are going to be confirmed next week and four more that are going to start starting point after that, or, or whether it's, um, you know, how many people watch us on YouTube and all of a sudden you get somebody from Missouri or you get somebody from Florida says, hey, hey thank you for your message today. I mean, it's, it's a, that's filling, right? But those things aren't quite leading us to be fed up yet. And that's also another point about Jesus' thing. When he says, blessed are those who hunger and blessed are those who thirst, it's really blessed are those who keep on hungering. Blessed are those who keep on thirsting. Until, until we finally get to that place in heaven where Jesus, by his own description, is this. There, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. For there, and only there, will we be completely fed up. And there, we'll be satisfied. Amen. Uh, please join me now in, in the words of the...